1: Why are the Celtics struggling so much? Can Brad Stevens figure out the proper lineups? Does this all center on Kyrie taking more of the reins? The only question left is, say it with me, you win? Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the Bball Breakdown Podcast. Today I am pleased to bring on the show, hashtag best friend of the pod, Jared Weiss who covers the Celtics for The Athletic and is currently driving with us. So, Jared, thanks for hopping on the uh, call with me.
0: I mean, (laughs) for my best friend, I have to
1: do it, obviously. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you've been on more times than we can count. And uh, it's time to talk about what's wrong with the Celtics, although perhaps you're not even so sure there's anything wrong.
0: Oh, there's something wrong, but uh, we picked a bad day to do it just because they just came off their best offensive performance of the season. But there's still plenty to discuss.
1: Okay. Well, I've been going through a lot of footage today. I'm prepared for for the first time in a while. Um, (laughs) I've been going a lot of footage. I got some ideas, but I want to hear, I want you to do my work for me. So. Let's start. What would you say is the first issue that has left them sort of in a 500 uh, mode and, and kind of struggling to keep up with everybody else in the East? Uh,
0: I think just their their offensive execution has been crap for the entire season, pretty much. So it's either been games where they're down 20 and they try to come back, or games where their fourth quarter offense is, is a complete mess and it just bogs down into kind of like, reluctant isolation play. So they, you know, their net, like, based on their net rating, their expected win, uh, Pythagorean win, like, like, expectation is, I think, like, a few wins higher than they really are. So they, like, statistically should be around, like, the eighth or ninth best record in the league, but they're down more around, like, 13 or 14. So I think a lot of it is just that They've generally been decent, but they keep putting themselves in really bad positions because they have fallen back into a lot of mediocre isolation play throughout the season. And Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Terry Rozier have been kind of like the three guys that have been looked at as the culprits for this because they, you know, those are the guys that were the stars of the offense last year. And things were, like, all the plays are really being called to revolve around giving them a head of steam, attacking the rim. And now they're kind of going, for the most part, at least especially Tatum and Brown, they're kind of back into the similar role that they were in at the beginning of the season last year. But they've gotten a lot better as on-ball scores at this point, who happen to be pretty ice-cold and the moves haven't been working too well to start the season. So they're trying to do what they were doing when they were the focal points of the offense, when really the offense is calling for them to be more of just kind of a grab-and-go shoot-quick uh, catch-up or uh, spot-up kind of player, and they're struggling to figure out how to make it work. But I actually think Tatum and Brown have been showing signs that they're getting back into rhythm over the past couple of weeks. Brown got hurt, so he's he was out last game. He, has, he, bro- he basically busted his ass falling out of the sky, and he has a bruised tailbone. So he's probably – maybe he'll play on Friday against Cleveland. I would be surprised if he played just because what's the point of playing him in that – especially in that game? when they're trying to get him healthy so he can actually have a good year. So I think they should hold him out of that one. But like they they're relying on the Marcuses, Marcus Smart and Marcus Morris, who have been consistent and I think pretty much locked into their roles and they're thriving in those roles. And when they put out you know five guys that really know their role, know how to execute, and didn't have any problems, any confusion on the court, stuff like that their offense really took off. So if they can kind of get that figured out, their offense is going to be really good, and they're going to go back to being you know a top-level playoff team.
1: Okay, well, lots to unpack. Um, End of speech. Yes, I, I was um, seen. I, I was actually looking at the passes per game, and it's interesting because league-wide... It's kind of down. Like, I think every team is sort of making less passes per game than last year, for instance. The Celtics being no um, different, where they are actually 21 passes per game lower than they were last year. So, I kind of feel like what I'm seeing, yeah, is is a little bit less attack on the catch, uh, a little bit less, you know, ball flipping around the, the perimeter um, it, it, you know, a, a little bit more is it, it, to the point where I'm, I'm just confused by like how that happened and how a, a Brad Stevens' offense can get bogged down into to, to triple thread in ISO. And if you want to read some of the best analysis of the NBA, including Jared Weiss's fantastic coverage, you must check out The Athletic today. For less than three bucks a month, you get just about every great NBA writer offering up their content with no ads no autoplay videos, and no pop-ups. They've also got you covered on every other major sport as well. You get access to more than 650 news stories published every week. And guess what? You can watch my videos there as well. Once a week, you can get inside Coach Nick's brain with my exclusive weekly series focusing on stats and X's and O's. So use my link, theathletic.com slash coachnick, and get 40% off the subscription price. Their app is awesome. I read some of the best writers there daily, like Sam Amick, David Aldridge, and Tim Kawakami. And then there's little old me on the video side. So head over to theathletic.com slash coachnick, get a huge discount on their subscription, and enjoy The Athletic. Well, I mean, there's a, I think there's a couple of reasons
0: for like the league-wide trend. I think one would just be uh, transition and fast break play is way up this year. Um, anecdotally, I actually I haven't checked the numbers to see if that's true. I'm sure I'm wrong, but I'll pretend I'm right for now. So that's way up, which means most likely less passes than you would have in a half court set. So that's not a huge surprise, but also that also means more possessions usually. So you know, give or take there, um, more foul calls on off you know kind of like off ball stuff because of the points of emphasis. So I'm assuming that free th- the free throw rate is probably up this year, which mm-hmm. means less plays where you're working the ball. The funny thing is the Celtics haven't benefited from either of those trends because the Celtics get to the line less than almost everybody in the league. Wow, okay, as I'm speaking – the uh, Kyle Corver has reportedly been traded to the Utah Jazz. That's a very interesting move. Um, oh. We could probably touch on that later. But So I, re- I really thought Philly was going to get him because it seemed like there was so much momentum towards that. But whatever, we can tackle that next. Okay. Uh, you know, Utah, okay. Utah, another juggernaut that clearly needs something to work, and hopefully that fixes it for them. But so, you know, Boston, they play at a really slow pace, which is something that them and the Jazz have been – Kind of doubling down on this year i feel like and that's going to mean less passes in total per game but then like if you look at the way that their offense is working last year they would just kind of run dribble handoffs from the elbow over and over and over again they could do it three or four times on a play before they eventually get kind of the pick and roll look they want or the lane that they want this year they've been doing it once or twice and then the ball gets to you know one of these guys that we mentioned before that's having trouble and they just kind of dribble into a contested 17-footer so that lack of patience has been an issue the entire season that i think is trending in the right direction
1: sure yeah you know i was noticing that i did you know in my research uh, a guy like Tatum is taking a, a ton of long mid-range shots and i started looking at them and you, you see a lot of sort of crossover crossover <laughs> And it, I kind of got into trouble, you know, Drew Hamlin was, you know, texting me, letting me know that uh, he's, he's uh, not necessarily that happy with me commenting on this on Twitter. But uh, I, I even made the mistake, I guess, of saying he doesn't get by his man um, at all, where the, the, it's not really that he's getting by his man or not. It's that he is opting to do a step back 22 footer when he might have an Elaine lane to get by his man. And I think that that's kind of curious to me since... Um, I might Maybe I'm old school, but it seems like a lot of times if you have enough of that lane, you want to actually get to the basket. So have you noticed that as well?
0: Yeah, well, I want to make sure Drew doesn't have a sniper pointed at me while I say this, but I think I'm clear. Um, so that, I think part of what – and you texted me about this before. Part of the thing going on with Jason has been that he's more committed to attacking the rim this year, and he's been working on bulking up his core – and, you know, being more on balance, so he's better attacking the rim. But he still he still doesn't push through people. He, you know, his footwork is so tremendous that I think sometimes he overuses his footwork and over relies on it. So he'll have a drive where he's able to get kind of like a rip through so he can get around the guy. And then he starts attacking. But I feel like he wastes a little bit of time in trying to get around the guy before attacking instead of just trying to drive right through him and use the fact that as an offensive player – you get the, you're allowed to initiate contact and force the defender to get out of your way. He isn't really playing that bully ball style that, to Jalen Brown's credit, I think Jalen usually does a pretty good job with. And to Kyrie's credit, even though he's not considered a power guy, I think he does a great job with as well. And it's why he's able to get so much penetration. So I think if Jason did that, it would open up even more room for a step back. And it wouldn't force him to go into those shots that you're talking about that, you know, it always comes down to this question and something that I'm sure if Kobe was on the show, we'd have a very interesting debate about is, is it a good shot if, it, if you're amazing at it, but it's a low value shot? And that's something that like Tatum and Kyrie, more than almost any player in the league, really kind of pushes that question forward, because those are two guys that specialize at hitting the highest degree of difficulty shots from relatively low value areas of the court.
1: Right. It's an interesting uh, conundrum, especially when you have a coach who is, you know, renowned for analytics and taking and not taking those kind of shots. And I was looking at some of them uh, and it was like, hmm, could that actually have gotten a step back to be behind the line on those moves? And not really, not the way where where he where Tatum is operating from. So it's an interesting uh, con- problem. And I think the, the issue is you have to be so good on those shots to make them worth it. You have to shoot 50, I don't know, what is it, 55, 56% or so, something like that. It's not easy to do. In fact, you know, I I did a video for The Athletic uh, last week talking about the mid-range, and Mm -hmm. there's only like like 15 players in the league that are shooting over 50% from the mid-range.
0: Wow, that's, you know, it's funny. I wonder now, are players better at shooting from three than they are from the mid-range? Is it a matter, like, is it a practice thing that guys are more, because, you know, it's like how guys are really uncomfortable shooting from 10 feet. They either want to pull up from 15 or get all the way to the rim because it's that, Mm -hmm. that weird nether region where you're not, it's too close for you to put up a soft shot, but too far for you, or like, you know, you can't follow through, that kind of thing. I wonder if the mid-range is becoming like that for a lot of wing players now.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a connection, a combination of that, and because uh, I'm not even talking about like the short mid-range, which is kind of cool because Cleaning the Glass has, they, they actually, you know, they call it short uh, mid-range and long mid-range. Uh, the long mid-range, though, in that college three area, that that's shouldn't be an issue, especially for the guys who are good shooters like Corver and Clay. Um, and I, I felt like, for a long time, I felt like what the problem was and why we wanted to avoid those shots is because in a macro sense, when you're looking at everybody in the league shooting them, you know, a lot of those guys who are shooting those shots, the defense is more than happy to have them do that. So it's kind of a noisy stat. But uh, even still, it's a little bit surprising uh, when you see even the really good shooters from three, for instance, you know, shoot, shoot good, shoot well from that 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 mid-range area, but not, you know, not as well as you almost think. Now, you know, of course, when Clay does it, it's a layup for him, right? I think it's a good look. Yeah. But Clay doesn't even make those shots as hard as Tatum does, um, for you know, almost on purpose. And so it's an interesting uh, uh, the, the, uh, conundrum there for how they're going to go forward and improve. Let's talk about Gordon Hayward for a second because. Um, you know, he was supposed to be the extra piece and the, the missing piece, whatever he is, um, how much of his struggles, and he's really struggling for, to shoot the ball, uh, open shots, his threes are, are long a, a vast majority of the time. Do you think that there's, uh, how much of this is, is is him recovering from his injury?
0: I think it's a huge amount of it. It's just a ton of rust. I mean, I talked, I can't remember, remember if this was in the story or not, but I talked to his trainer, probably a lot over the end of late summer and then early part of the season about just like what his expectations are for Gordon. And, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of these trainers usually want to hype up their guy as being like, he's completely ready or off season program worked, that kind of thing. And his trainer, Jason Smethers has been like really clear about people need to, people need to understand how to be patient. Cause like, obviously patience is not, is not a virtue of the modern NBA fan or really the modern, American, basically. But so, you know, I said before the season that Hayward is probably not going to look good until Christmas. It's probably going to be about half of the season until he looks good enough to really be a starter. Um, So this hasn't really surprised me that much. And the recurrence of soreness has not surprised me as much. I think for people that have kind of talked to him in his camp, that have understood what this process has been like. (laughs) having to sit out occasional games through the soreness is something that you expect because that's what it's like for him. Um, Especially like, I think the last time that he sat out, he played like 39 minutes the game before that, which was the most by far that he's played since the injury. So like this is, he is going to have inconsistency. Shooting is going to be one of those areas where you're really going to see it because, you know, he's a guy that wasn't a high elevation shooter. He was a relatively low jump set shooter who has, like, he doesn't have like a a massive, like, he's a very compact shot, I would say. So most of his shot power comes from his core and his legs. And obviously right now his legs are a lot weaker than they were a year ago because it's like, it takes you like eight months of playing before you really get your bounce back. And we can see when he tries to elevate for the most part, he doesn't really get that much off the ground. He actually had one steal where he picked off like a back pass and was able to get a clear break on his own, where he not only kind of blew by the guy and like showed some separation ability, but he got up there and he threw it down like pretty much normal as you would have seen him do it in the past. That was a huge sign because we haven't really seen very much of that so far. So I I really do think that the shooting inconsistency is just that he doesn't have a huge sample size yet of – being able to get out there and really get a shot off, he's still he's still learning his spots with this team. I think he looks more comfortable in the offense lately than he did earlier in the season, and especially in that New Orleans game, they found a way to make him a playmaker. He barely scored that night, but he was a good playmaker for most of the night. And they're still kind of toying around and experimenting with him. But I I'm not going to draw any conclusions about where he's at until basically the start of 2019.
1: Fair enough. And while it may take Gordon Hayward another month or two to get into tip-top shape, you can look and feel your best right now by using HIMS, a new wellness brand for men. The equivalent of long two-point shots is letting your hair thin out and go bald. So get proactive and avoid the hair loss that 66% of men start to suffer by age 35. The solution? visit 4hims.com, where you can take care of hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness. My hair looks thick, the skin under my eyes smooth, and the permanent smile on my wife's face are all thanks to HIMS. They connect you with real doctors and medical grade solutions, so you can avoid the waiting room and awkward exams in your underwear. Order now, and you'll get a trial month of HIMS for just $5 while supplies last. See website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or pharmacy, so go to slash coach Nick. That's F O R H I M slash coach Nick. And in case your ears needed help too, it's slash coach Nick. Uh, and you know, it's interesting because As I'm seeing a lot of these long misses, it's to me it's not even the legs. It's just the his rhythm is off. He is not syncing up the timing of his legs, straightening into his jump with his arms going up, and it's off. And that just could very well be reps. And game reps, and he'll he'll eventually find it. So you know, I don't know if he's ever going to be a lights-out 42% three point shooter, but he I would imagine he'll get closer to the 38, 39, or, and then be reliable when he's open. But they're, they're, they're leaving I mean, him right now. They're, they're I, co- I, I see teams rotating off of him, even in the corner, and and letting him kind of take take that shot, which has got to be uh, offensive to him.
0: Well, I mean, it's on him to make him pay, and he's he's competitive as hell, so you know he wants to make him pay. And I can tell you it's his camp's goal is for him to shoot 41% three when he's healthy. Like that's what they're going for, so they think it's doable. I mean, he's a very clean. He's a very clean shot, and he doesn't take a lot of bad shots. Like to his credit, his shot selection has always been pretty good. I think throughout yeah. his career,
1: for sure. Now, that where you also see a lot of rust is dribbling. Um, there's been a lot of sort of bad um, dribbling turnovers I've noticed uh, into traffic and kind of off balance and loses the handle. Uh, again, a little bit um, of anomaly and, again, just more evidence of what we're talking about here as he gets back into uh, into his shape. Just FYI, his career, three-point percentage is three, six, three, uh, 36.5%. Um, you know, he had one year where he got to 41.5 so uh, on low volume. So, you know, I think it might be a little bit uh, of a stretch to say 41 this year. But certainly, uh, you know, he, he should be, again, in that 37, 38, I would imagine. Um Let's talk about lineups real quick. I feel like that's another, uh, the big thing that Brad Stevens needs to unlock uh, better is who is playing with whom. Uh, What are your takes?
0: I mean, my take on the pods for the last few weeks has been to start the two Marcuses with Tatum and then Kyrie and Horford. He finally did it on, in the new Orleans game on Monday and they had their best offensive performance of the year. So that just, I mean, I, I think that's the way they have to go for now. And, Maybe they put Jalen in the starting lineup and they take, they kind of choose between smart and Morris if they want. I, I think they should just for now, just leave it as it is and don't see how far they can push this. And like Jalen and, and Hayward are still going to be getting their minutes regardless. I don't think it's going to make a big difference there, but that, that group has the, is that, that is the current group of two way players that they have on the roster right now. I mean, Kyrie, showing a lot of effort on defense and whatever the equivalent to special teams is and in basketball or kind of like the in-between of offense and defense, but like Ky- Kyrie, makes, Kyrie makes a lot of defensive mistakes, frankly, because I think he's over-eager a lot of the time. He's trying to prove himself a lot of the time, mm-hmm. and he actually takes himself out of position and compromises the defense, but like, in general, I think he's found a, a good balance between defensive effort and the fact that he's carrying the offense. I think he's really managed to balance well, and Kyrie made a good point after that Monday game is that Having smart out there, smart is not like Jalen is is one. I think one of the best two-way players at his position. You know, disregard the struggles earlier this year. Like he's established that track record over you know, over last season. He's one of the best two-way players at his position, and kind of like the limited sense of guarding his position. Kind of like how Klay Thompson is like a pretty very – like a a very good um, versatile defender on wings but doesn't like guard all five positions like a lot of these guys can now. Mm -hmm. But I think Clay's maybe the best at at doing what Jalen is trying to do. But like Smart defends every position. He can defend a point guard, a three, and a center on the exact same possession. Like he was guarding Anthony Davis I think at times uh, during that game. And like having him out there I think gives Kyrie a lot more comfort that he doesn't have to – Go all out on defense. He can kind of focus his energy on offense. And then he had an amazing offensive performance that night. And so just having Smart out there, his persistence and his communication are just so off the charts. Him him and Horford together, whenever they share the floor, their defense is the best in the league by a pretty good margin. Mm-hmm. Um, so having Smart out there, even if he is a medi- or a very inconsistent shooter, he's not a. It's not a terrible shooter. He's just a very consistent shooter. He had like he had a streak in that game and a lot of these games where he's burying threes with guys right in his face, and then later in the game he's going to miss three wide open threes in a row. That's just how it goes with him. Yeah. But he's a he's a very good playmaker. He's he's one of the better pick and roll playmakers in the league, despite the fact that teams don't overcommit on uh, on him when uh, when he's uh running pick and roll so they you know they kind of sit back and they don't blitz him because they know that he's not going to be a major threat to shoot that kind of stuff but he still finds a way to be a good playmaker but he brings that balance and then morris of course morris has been a really good three-phase defender this year and then he's shooting likes out his three-point shooting has been really good he's pretty good attacking the rim and ironically while tatum and brown and some of these other guys have struggled with shot selection this year Mook, who has had like some of the worst shot selection of ever, any wing in the NBA the last few years, he's been like really diligent and not taking a lot of the bad shots that he used to take and not going into like his favorite double crossover pull up with a guy in his face or fade away like from 18 feet that he always takes. He's been a really smart and patient player and he's been playing really well, and he's going to make a ton of money this offseason because of it.
1: Yeah, almost half his shots are from behind the line where he's scorching at 43%, so it's been a nice— uh, I mean, I don't think he's going to keep that up, but uh, certainly if the shot selection it, it stays better than it has been, that's a, going to be a win for them. Um, I, I just want to think that uh, as far as the key for the Celtics in their offense, it just seems to me that Kyrie needs to play uh, as the man. You know what I mean? That When when he scores 26 or more, they're 5-2— and it just seems like they're a different team when they're not being like, well, I'm really good and so are you. So you try and do something and then, well, he's really good too. It just seems like when, when Kyrie is in the FU mode, that's when they're playing the best. And then, and somehow that he needs to just tap into that every night.
0: Well, you know, the big part of that, though, is that he – actually, I'm really surprised he only has seven games with 26 or more points. That's surprising because they've played, what, like 21 games now yeah. or so? Yeah. So that's you – know, you figure it would be more, but whatever. I mean – for one, don't forget he's coming off a knee surgery. He's still finding his rhythm. He's still working himself into shape. He's definitely made progress since the beginning of the year, but, like, he's not all the way there yet. But he um, he likes, he's another one of these guys that likes to fall back into some poor shot selection. But these are, like, his signature shots. Like, he, his favorite shot in the entire game is a sidestep, like, kind of turning fadeaway three from the right elbow. And it's, like, the worst, it's, like the, it's just, like, the most difficult, shot imaginable it's so hard he doesn't even get a ton of separation he's he's stepping back into like a tight corner in the bait like against the sideline where it's easy for him to go out of bounds it like never works but he loves taking those high degree shots where he can show that he's like one of the best shot makers of his era and i think that he's kind of you know i i compare him to isaiah thomas all the time because the year before he got here or to boston isaiah had like one of the most efficient scoring seasons in nba history like him steph curry and kyle lowry all became like i think it was like it was they were like it was like one of the first times in nba history that someone had like a usage rate over 30 and a true shooting percentage over 60 it was something like that i can't remember the stat but so isaiah was the ultimate epitome of a super efficient scoring point guard. All of his shots were coming over screens from the three-point line, or he was getting to within five feet and he was throwing his body into someone to draw a foul. And Kyrie is kind of the opposite style for the most part where he loves to kind of meander in the whole in-between area and kind of toy with guys. And that can that can be super effective when, for instance, in the fourth quarter of that New Orleans game, he was able to drive right at Anthony Davis and use his step back ability and you know some of his like change of pace ability to get the shot off and hit it over Davis, which like almost nobody in the league can pull off. So he's able to do the things that almost no one else can do, but. I think Kyrie's starting to learn and get used to more and more that for him to be to win MVP, which like he can still turn it around and be a major MVP candidate, and for him to kind of achieve the level of greatness and have the team actually be a legitimate title contender, he's got to be more satisfied with being kind of simple and efficient and rigid, and we're starting to see a little bit more of that. And so I don't think it's necessarily about him Taking twenty shots a game, especially because he has a lot of mouths that he's responsible to feed, and it's more important for him to keep all those guys satisfied so that they're all in a rhythm, and that's when they actually achieve that level of greatness that they're capable of, that they've been so ridiculously far from so far. But he's got to take he's got to take satisfaction in getting kind of quick and easy buckets rather than you know pulling something off that's me that's a uh, you know gift worthy.
1: Hmm. Well, okay. I don't know if I agree, uh, I, <laughs> but uh, I hear you. I just don't think that, it, that it, feeding the mouths that you mentioned is not really a, been a thing for him anyway in his career. He's always sort of been a, a two guard, really, anyway, and so that's why I like Marcus Smart out there because yeah. all of a sudden, and, and you know, I read somewhere somewhere today, and some Schmo wrote some article about it where he talked about how Kyrie off ball, and setting ball screens was unlocking a lot of things. I wonder who that was, and, um, and that <laughs> I, I like that. Uh, you know, that's when I'm like, okay, which is in theory a little bit more that traditional, you know, Clay Thompson role for him or something. And that yeah. that to me I, it makes me more excited than than him. Now, by the way, tell us like the issue it seems like is that when he runs a traditional point guard role, they can blast him at the top of the key, and get it out of his hands, and all of a sudden he's not part of the offense anymore, right?
0: Yeah, well, so, I mean, what he was doing is, like, what they did with Steph, I think a lot last year, right, where teams were blitzing, mm-hmm. and they were showing two against, uh, they were showing two at him when he was coming over the uh, screen, so either the screener pops really far out, and then you throw it over to him, or, but, like, that's obviously kind of, like, you know, that's very predictable, so the team can figure out how to help with that, so Stevens is like, screw it, let's just take the ball out of Kyrie's hands and use him as a screener, which is what I wrote about in The Athletic, that's what he's hitting at, and so, Kyrie as a role man is really fascinating because he has such great body control. He can kind of get into like a, a downhill sprint and you can slip him that pocket pass, which Smart and Hayward were doing really, really well in the fourth quarter of that game. And Kyrie can stop on a dime. He can pop and shoot from there or he can keep going, continue to play on. So, you know, whether he or Horford is the role man, Either way, the Celtics have the potential in the fourth quarter to have a really good distributor that can kind of shoot from anywhere, and that's what makes them so potentially potent. But I like that Stevens is trying to find ways, and frankly, I think Kyrie enjoys this, of trying to mix it up so that Kyrie's not predictable.
1: And if you want to get to the mindset of one of the best coaches in the NBA, then you have to check out the coaching polos they have at Fanatic's. I'm wearing one right now, and it's by far the most comfortable shirt I own, and I love the design. Fanatics is the world's largest collection of officially licensed fan gear from all the leagues, teams, and players you love. There's a gigantic sale happening right now over at Fanatics.com, and you can get jerseys, sweatshirts, winter jackets, backpacks tons of apparel and gear all branded with your favorite team and or player. And if you buy a jersey of a player that gets traded within 90 days, they'll replace that jersey with another player from that team or your favorite player's jersey on their new team. They've got thousands of products for college and pro hoops fans. Join Fanatics Rewards today and earn fan cash on every purchase. And get free shipping Through December 31st by using my link fanatics.com/slash coach nick. That's fanatics.com/slash coach nick and get free shipping through the end of the year. The whole point of what I was saying
0: before is like Kyrie, while what he can do, like while he has so many variations, so what he can do, I think it's relatively predictable a lot of the time, and you got to mix it up because you know unless you're Steph Curry. Like teams can game plan for you basically. And, you know, and and like we were saying before, it was like, you know, eventually. When teams were blitzing Steph really effectively, they just switch it up and they had him be the screener, or they'd run screen the screener action to get him free. So it's like they got to do that with Kyrie, because you know Kyrie is very Steph-like. He isn't that he isn't that level of shooter, but like you know in general, he he's one of the few point guards in the league that kind of like Dame Lillard is another good example that like fits that template of player, and he should be able to do all that kind of stuff that Steph can do. And what makes Steph so great is that Steph is willing to not have to make a highlight play every single time so we can be ruthlessly efficient, and that's how he scores 30 a game instead of 25 a game.
1: Right. Well, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of interesting things to, to, I guess, keep our eye on and just sort of be patient about for the Celtics and see if they're going to get in the conversation because certainly uh, the Raptors have dropped the gauntlet and have shown that they're the ones who seem to deserve to make the finals this year above all else in the East. So um, I'm interested to see what's going to happen. Do you think a trade might happen?
0: i mean i don't think a trade is going to happen because of their level of success this year i think the trade would happen for the same reasons that we thought it might happen before the year that terry rogier um you know he he was on rick Bettino's podcast not to give any attention to another podcast out there we know this is the only podcast people should ever listen to but mm-hmm. if they ever were to listen to another pod rick Bettino has one which still blows my mind he had terry on i think yesterday and. He asked Terry about free agency, and Terry said, it's not about being a starter or about getting money. It's about getting what I've earned and what I deserve, which, of course, can be quantified in either money or a starting role. So it's BS what he's saying. He's saying what every other guy ever says who isn't in a role that they want to be in and they want to get paid. Which, like, I mean, Terry's had an up-and-down year, but like last year, I think he clearly established his potential, and I think if he gets into a similar situation, he's going to show that he's worth it um you know the celtics their their impetus to trade him is either one if he tells them you got to trade me because i'm not i'm gonna go get an offer from phoenix that's going to be way beyond what you're willing to match and i'm going to leave next year so you should trade me now um and by the way phoenix i mean phoenix was was trying to get him throughout august and september i mean they they were negotiating they were throwing offers at boston I think pretty frequently throughout that time period, and this has been kind of reported already, but like Phoenix is trying to get Terry. They're trying to get a lot of point guards, but Terry is very high on their list of actually obtainable targets. And I think they weren't willing to put anything significant value in the trade package, or at least not enough to make the Celtics do it, because they know that they have the cash base that they could just give Terry a ridiculous offer in free agency. But so he's like, he's he's the one guy who doesn't, that like, actually has the impetus to want to try to get out of Boston just because it's really affecting the bag for him and obviously Marcus smart or not Marcus smart Marcus Morris was the other guy that you that we were thinking about that before the season but right now he's earning that bag with the way he's playing for the Celtics and frankly Rogier, um, can't have the opportunity to do that. I mean, if Morris can pull it off, there's no reason, reason why Rogier in 28 or 30 minutes game can't do it as well. But frankly, his play has been kind of inconsistent and smarts him playing so well that his minutes have been kind of down to where they were before Kyrie got hurt last year. And I think that's what's really concerning for him.
1: Fair, uh, fair enough. Well, do uh, you have a 30-second reaction to the uh, Utah Jazz sending Alec Burks uh, and a uh, two second-round picks to the Cavs for Kyle Korver?
0: Well, I thought it was a I thought it was totally reasonable before the uh the Burks part came out, but I'm really surprised that they that they're giving up on Burks now. But I guess they feel that they have enough they like they already have enough talent there that there's not really much of a significant long term future for Burks. They already know that he's not on a good contract relative to what he can contribute. So if you can get off of that money, bring in Corver, I think it's pretty reasonable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it, uh, the Jazz co- clearly needs something. I don't know if Corver is the something or not, but they need something to, uh, to, to straighten them out. Uh, I think uh, they, they've been struggling. It's worth another a video on them, too, I think. But uh, it's interesting that the Cavs are going to now bank on another former Jazz player to finally achieve his uh, potential. <laughs> um, and <laughs> we'll see. Maybe, maybe hey, that will what? work.
0: E. Hood's putting up numbers this year. so I'm sure Perks full as well.
1: yeah, you know and all, all of a sudden you throw Kevin love out there if he ever gets healthy and you know there's they could be relevant so we'll see but uh, you, I speaking of relevancy, uh, Jared, you are you are Mr. relevant and uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on and giving us uh, a very thorough breakdown of what's happening with the Celtics. Love you bro. love you too Uh, and don't forget sports fans at B-Ball Breakdown we're not a channel we're a conversation you in are you in Jared oh I'm in